Thank you, Rachel. I'm going to start out with some really good news. I just heard my three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter is up in the children's area, and uh, she wanted to come in here because she didn't want to miss Papa singing. <laughs> she doesn't know. If I sing, that's like right next to a sin if I do that on a microphone, so I'm not going to sing today. But uh, welcome. If you're new here, welcome. If you're new online, welcome. It's glorious to see your Faces, can everybody just smile at me for a second? Yes, I've been waiting for this moment uh, just to get over the mask thing. And if you have to wear a mask, join the club. I have to wear a mask a lot now, my wife does. So if you're here and you wear a mask, totally cool, wear it because you have to. And we will love everybody no matter what. Well, my name is Steve Marshman. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to tell you also something that's not in my notes this morning. When I got up, usually I am just giddy and just waiting to get here and speak to you guys because I love the word of God. But this morning, for the first time in a very, very long time, I also had a heavy heart. I just felt like there was somebody or some group of people here that are going through some exceedingly tough times. And then the prayer team this morning, when they prayed before the service, I wasn't in it, but I found out afterward that Janae had that same sense. So when that happens to me, I don't know what you guys do in your life, but the first thing I do is I find ways to praise God out loud, verbally, with just one or two sentence lines and we say what we are praising God for and what we are grateful for. So we're going to all stand up and do that as a group. And instead of it being total chaos, raise your hand when I point at you. Yell out what you're grateful for, what you want to praise God for. And we're going to get Christian Eisen to get us started. Rhonda. Rhonda. You praise God for Rhonda. Yes. Awesome. Down the front. Beautiful weather. Morgan. Little baby coming. Yes, yes, yes. I saw a hand over here. What do you praise God or for or grateful for? Somebody over here had one. Come on, don't be bashful. Mike. Our God never changes. Our God never changes. I know we're grateful for more right here. Faithfulness, Faithfulness right there. His word, yes, we're going to be in his word today, and I got some exciting things to share from you for you today. Anybody else? How about in the balcony? Anybody up there? Come on. Here's one. Here. Being together, yes. Let's give God some applause. Oh, Margaret, last one. Jesus sees us where he's at, and he loves us. Have a seat. Have a seat. I know for you online that was probably a little awkward. Uh, so come. It won't be as awkward. Uh, so uh, that wasn't in my notes. So there's a lot of things going on today. The guitar not working wasn't in the notes either, but Jesus is good, and Let's, uh, let's move on. So 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22, before we get into that, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, most of you, many of you know our story, me and Vicki. We've been married for 38 years, which we're super excited about. And what you probably don't know is for the first 34 years of marriage, Vicki was the primary cook because she's a good cook. And she's from Virginia, and her mom and grandma taught her some of those good southern recipes. So that's why I'm not exactly the thinnest guy in the world, but praise Jesus for that. All I ever cooked was eggs, pancakes, and was in charge of the barbecue. Because that's not really cooking. That's just basically heating stuff up, right? So this whole world of cooking is foreign to me. And by, by cooking, I mean like with recipes and stuff. 
it's another world. It's a different dimension. It's a different realm. And when I started to cook, because uh, about four years ago, Vicky got leukemia, and I, I had to learn how to help her and how to serve her. So I needed to learn how to cook. And man, it was, it was confusing. Who came up with teaspoons and tablespoons? And the abbreviations are just idiotic. TBS and TSP, they're so close. And I can tell you, if you mix them up, sometimes it doesn't go well. And the ratio is ridiculous. Three, I got to get this right. Three teaspoons and one tablespoon cooked. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Why didn't we just stick with ounces? I mean, ounces would have been fine. And by the way, ounces and cups, I don't get that either. Fortunately, we have this measuring cup. And on the inside of it, you look at it, and it's got ounces on one side and cups on the other side. Yes. So I don't need to do the conversion. My daughter, Kelsey, was over the house helping me cook a recipe, a recipe. It had ingredients. You know, you got to go get the ingredients. And I'm, I'm literally like a square peg in a round hole, fish out of water, out of my comfort zone completely, and then the recipe says something about milliliters. Like, oh, so what, was it, what do you do in the 21st century? You grab your phone and you start Googling it, and Kelsey picks up the measuring cup. She goes, or daddy could just look on the side. It's right there. <laughs> Man, I tell you, this word of cooking is just different. Now, here's what I want you to get of that story, though. I've always had a kitchen in every place I've lived. It's a physical place in our house or apartment. But cooking's a different realm. It's a different world. And I could actually be in the cooking realm sitting in my living room reading a cookbook and not be in the kitchen. And today, 1 Peter is going to take us to a different realm. It's going to be a different topic altogether. Now, to summarize what Stephen talked about last week, which leads into this different realm, is that we are to suffer for doing good And this week, Peter is going to focus on Christ's victory, his victory in suffering. And last week, Stephen said that the challenge was more application than comprehension. Well, this week it flips. This week it's going to be way more of a challenging comprehension because I'm going to give you a topic that's a little hard to get your hands and head around. But we're we're going to do it because he's going to take us to this different Realm. So let's read the passage. I'll warn you, it's not exactly an easy passage, but we're going to dive in. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and I'll read to the end of the chapter, which is only five verses. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And note takers or underliners, write that down, underline it, highlight it. The purpose for Jesus' suffering is to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, and made proclam- he, he made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Another one to underline and highlight. Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That is Jesus. Now there's some challenging parts to that, isn't there? Imprisoned spirits, what are those? Something about the days of Noah, something about water saving us. If you read that and are a bit confused, 
You have great company. Listen to what Martin Luther wrote about this passage. This is a strange text. I still don't know for sure what the apostle meant. And that was Martin Luther. So what do we do when we encounter a text that's challenging and it's hard? And we go, man, I don't really know what he's talking about. Well, the first thing we have to do is remain humble. We want to have a spirit of humility. And then if we have the time, you dig in, you read, you study, you pray. But I think it's really important not to come to this real dogmatic, hard, stick a stake in the ground conclusion over a passage that is confusing. That doesn't make any sense. Let's emphasize what's clear and what's not so clear we'll work on. We want to avoid being divisive over a passage that's not really that clear. But we also just don't want to skip over it, right? We want to look at it, and we'll look at some of the hard parts briefly. But what I really like to do is look for clarity. Is there something in this passage of five verses that's clear? And the answer is absolutely. There's two parts that are clear, actually. So we're going to hit those first. It's the beginning and the end. Verse 18, the first part of verse 18 says this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, which is Jesus, for the unrighteous, which is us, to bring you to God. If you don't remember anything else about today, remember this. Jesus died on the cross to what? We always say this, to save us from our sins, right? But he also had a purpose. He didn't just save us from sin. He saved us to God. Jesus didn't go through all that for just saving us from our sins, although that would be fabulous. He did that. He did all the work on the cross to bring us to God. And what do we call that when he brings us to God, to God's realm? We often call that heaven. But heaven's just not this place out there. And that's our challenge today to try, start rethinking about heaven. It's not just out there, a distant place, because heaven is here It's now the presence of God in our lives today. I hope this is starting to make sense to you. And then the last part of the passage, verse 22, is also pretty clear. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. That's pretty clear. Where did Jesus go when he left earth? He went into heaven and he's at God's right hand. Other passages say he's seated at God's right hand. Much more on that later. So these two verses bracketing some confusing verses, are actually really clear and straightforward. That's good news. Amen? Yeah, you're happy about that before we get to the imprisoned spirits, right? So what, what is the clarity? The clarity is Jesus suffered for us. Why? To bring us to God. And that should make you excited today. And Jesus, where did he go? He's gone into heaven, and he's at God's right hand. Now again, this word heaven, it trips us up. Jesus didn't just go to a different physical place he went to a different realm a different dimension and as soon as i say the word heaven some vision of heaven pops into your mind and if you're my generation you're polluted by looney tune cartoons where they had all the pictures of heaven and they're all bad they're all bad theology and by the way the pictures of hell are also all bad and bad theology but often we just think of heaven as a place but that's incomplete it really is The Bible Project, if you're not familiar with it, you must, must, must go watch their Heaven and Earth theme video. Go to the Bible Project, look at their theme videos. They have one called Heaven and Earth, and watch it, not just once. I watched it about five times this week because I just want to keep 
getting the truth of what heaven and earth are really like out of the Bible and get rid of my Looney Tunes cartoons image of heaven and earth. And the way the Bible Project defines heaven and earth is earth is our space, heaven is God's space. And when you watch that video, you're going to see that heaven and earth overlap. They're not separate physical distances. They're overlapping uh, Circles or overlapping spaces, and thank you for Rachel or Hakeem to put up this to make this slide for me because I couldn't figure out how to do the different colors. Um, but there's Earth and Heaven, and notice it overlaps, and that's the space we live in. We live in an overlapping realm. For the Israelites, where was that over, overlap? It was in the temple, in the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. Right, Mike? That's where the overlap was. For us as new believers. As believers in the new covenant, the overlap is actually in us because we are the temple, the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. So the overlap is much, much larger than it was for the Israelites because the Holy Spirit's in all believers all over the world for all time. So that overlap is greatly expanded. And we don't have a slide for it, but if you watch the heaven and earth video from the Bible Project, when Jesus comes back, when he returns, those circles are going to actually completely overlap. And there's a marriage of heaven and earth, and all of that's going to be glorious. But for now, we need to deal with a couple of these tough, tough verses. So if you need to take a nap, now's a good time. If you need to use the restroom and get a coffee, now's a good time because this next bit is just not as important and it's not as clear. But we don't want to just skip it. Verse 18, the second half, he, Jesus, was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago. And when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, literally, Thousands of pages have been written about those two sentences. Thousands of pages. It boils down to about three theories. I'm going to give you three, the third being the most prevalent. I'll give them to you really briefly. The first one is the thought is Jesus descended into hell between his death and resurrection. That's one theory. If you, whatever one you want to believe, that's fine because no one's really clear about this. The second one is pre-incarnate Jesus. Jesus, before he became human, preached through Noah to the sinful people in that generation. And then the third view, which is more prevalent today, and almost every scholar I read today agrees this. Put it up on the slide for you. You could pull out your phone and take a picture on it because it's pretty long. You might not be able to take notes that fast, but here's what this interpretation says. Peter is referring to Christ's victory proclamation following his resurrection. So not following his death, but following his resurrection. And in this view, the imprisoned spirits is referring to fallen angels. And in this view, the, the went, where did Jesus go? That's referring to his ascension into heaven. And the proclamation, what I really like about this view is it fits in the context of the entire letter because Jesus suffered and he died but he's victorious right Jesus defeats death by dying this wonderful paradox of the Christian life so if that's your view great if it's not don't worry about it moving on to the next part second part of 20 starts to talk about uh, in the ark in the ark only a few people eight in all which is Noah's family were saved through water and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So obviously Peter's talking about baptism and why? Because the flood event 
in Noah's day. The flood event is a picture of two things. It's a picture of salvation and it's a picture of baptism. We get some help from other parts of scripture and that's another thing you do when we have a hard passage. We go to other parts of the scripture because it's all true together. In Hebrews 11, 7, it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. So Noah did that. And the eight people in his family were saved by the flood. And what I want to talk about today, which is super relevant, is we get some hints about baptism from this passage, don't we? Three things, if you're a note taker, three things I want you to notice about baptism from this passage. First is this. Baptism's not about the removal of dirt from the body. And dirt is a symbol for sin. It's not about removal of sin from the body. It's not what baptism is. It actually reminds me of a Randy Travis song for the two other country music fans in the room. <laughs> Who likes Randy Travis? Come on. Yes. Look at it. Jose, are you here? Yes. Could you, could you do that again? Who likes Randy Travis? Jose, look at this. If you're online, there's a lot of country music fans in here. Okay, you're going to get this. So maybe you know this song. Randy Travis song about baptism. When Eddie Lee Vaughn is going to get baptized. And in the song, the crowd actually placed bets. I quote, his soul wouldn't never come clean. I guess Eddie Levon was in the greatest guy. The chorus goes like this. Pray for the fish. They won't won't know what's coming. When the sin starts rolling off the likes of him, Lord be with them. They ain't done nothing. Please won't you leave him just a little bit of room to swim. Pray for the fish. Fun song, but really bad theology. Because baptism's not about the removal of of sin. Who cleanses us? God. Jesus Christ, God. 1 John 1, 9, if we're faithful and righteous to confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's not a word about baptism in that verse. Baptism is a wonderful symbol, but the cleansing of our sins is from God and God alone. The second thing that Peter tells us about baptism is it's a pledge of a clear conscience toward God, or some other translations say it's an appeal to God. Baptism is a step of faith, for sure, publicly declaring, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a pledge to live right with God. And then the third, and this is probably the most important part of baptism in these verses, is this. Baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's an underliner also. Some translations say through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, baptism is not some magic religious ritual. All the power, all the efficacy of baptism is completely 100% dependent on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why baptism is Baptism and the symbolism of baptism is absolutely beautiful. Read, look at Romans 6 with me. Uh, We'll read that together, not together, but I'll read it for you. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Beautiful, beautiful symbolism. You see, when you baptize somebody in water and you put them underwater, you stay there too long, what's going to happen? You're going to die, right? For those of you who remember Phil Comer and Dave Junkin, 
Dave Junkin's a former Navy SEAL, and when he got baptized, I told Phil, I go, Phil, you know, those guys could probably hold their breath for about three or four minutes. So just put them down there and just give a little mini sermon. People will be listening. <laughs> and then when you raise them up from there, it'll be very, very spectacular. But when you stay, when you stay underwater, you're going to die. It's beautiful symbolism. I want to tell you just a, a, a thing about baptism. You know, I, I've, I've actually uh, personally had this crazy story with baptism because I was baptized as an infant. I, I think I was like eight days old. I didn't have much say in the matter, right? Um, and the thing about baptism is, is when, when people get baptized, they'll say, something changed. Something changed. This is more than symbolism. But I can't exactly explain to you what it is. And uh, I was baptized in an infant. So every time the church talked about baptism, I didn't really pay attention. I kind of figured I got that box checked, right? So, but then one day I, later, I was, I was saved. I was about 18. Later in my late 20s, uh, one, of the, one of the preachers said, if you haven't been baptized since you've been saved, you should be baptized. I went, whoa, whoa, this is different. So I went and talked to the pastor. I studied the New Testament. I prayed about it. I said, I need to be baptized. I, I viewed my infant baptism as more of a baby dedication. So uh, Vicky and I actually got baptized together. We were immersed you know, at the same time. Uh, it was absolutely fascinating. If I look back at my life, it's a hockey stick of my growth in Jesus from when I was baptized to when I started growing. And so I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized since you've been saved, to do that. And we're going to have baptisms on Easter Sunday, Lord willing, back in our uh, building when the reno's done. But a frequent question that comes up all the time about baptism and is this. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? There's an opinion? No. <laughs> I happen to agree with that opinion. People also always look to the, to the thief on the cross. Well, he, he asked Jesus to save him, and Jesus said, today he'll be with me in paradise, and he didn't bring him down from the cross and baptize him. And that's always used as the case study. But as Gary Brashears would always say, don't build your theology on one unique passage. So some traditions say, yes, you do have to be baptized to your say. Some denominations say that. Here at 26 West, we would respectfully disagree, but friendly. So if you're here and believe you have to be saved, I mean, have to be baptized to be saved, you're welcome. Keep coming. We'll have a friendly discussion about it. Uh, but what we have here is we don't believe you have to be uh, baptized to be saved, but we have a very, very, very high view of baptism. You should be baptized. Why? Because the entire teaching and example in the New Testament, with maybe the one exception of the thief on the cross, is that everybody's baptized. You don't actually see a big, long teaching about baptism, baptism in the New Testament because it was just assumed that everybody was baptized. Peter himself, author of this letter in Acts 2, 38, said this, repent and be baptized. Can't get much clearer than that. So I must ask, if you tell me you're saved and you're not baptized, I have to ask, why not? Why not? And my promise to you, and I don't make promises lightly because I have grandkids and you got to be really careful what you promise, right? I don't make promises lightly, but I promise you, if you haven't been baptized, you're saved, and you get baptized on Easter Sunday, you will not regret it, and it'll be the beginning of more growth in your life with Jesus Christ. So after the gathering, I'll be up front. Stephen Collins will be up front. If you have questions about baptism, come talk to us. If you want to sign up to get baptized on Easter, come talk to us. But now we're going to return to verse 22. The last verse in this section. 
It says this, Jesus has gone into heaven and he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And I gotta tell you, I've been so excited all week, actually for about two years now, to share what I'm about to share with you. Because I believe what I'm about to share with you is a game changer. It's a life changer. It's radically changed how I view my life with Christ. But I will also tell you that, just like we said already, and Stephen said last week, it's a little bit more about comprehension than application. So it's a challenging concept, but nobody disagrees with it. It's just not something we talk about a lot. So what, what's going on here? Where is Jesus right now? Well, Peter tells us he ascended into heaven, into this other realm, not a distant place, not a distant time. Right now, he is in heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And one of the reasons I started getting into this topic, because after, remember Revelation last spring, the Revelation series, and uh, Tim and I had that crazy podcast. Well, since then, we've been studying the book of Hebrews, and I've been really digging into Hebrews, and it's just changing my perspective on the heavenly realm, because the focus in Hebrews is just like what Peter is saying here. Jesus ascended into heaven and sat down, meaning his work is completed, at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is a position of honor. It's the best seed in the house, so to speak. And he becomes our high priest because we are priests. Jose has been emphasizing that for the last several weeks. We're royal priests serving on, under the high priest, the mediator, the intercessor, with authority over all Jesus has. And see, one of, these day, one of the days I was studying this, I had this kind of like a eureka moment. Because most of my life following Jesus kind of went like this. Maybe you'll identify. I'm here on earth struggling out day-to-day life with all its challenges. Last night, I was brushing my teeth, and I broke a tooth, and a piece fell out. So it doesn't hurt, but it's kind of weird. I got a big hole in my tooth. So I got to deal with that this week. And life's just like that, right? That's a minor, minor problem, maybe. <laughs> so when I, when I talk to God and pray, I kind of picture God in heaven because that's what the Lord, uh, Lord's Prayer gives us as an example. Say, Father in heaven, Right? So that's, that's what I do when I pray to God the Father. And then as I attempt to walk the godly life here on earth by faith, well, I picture the Holy Spirit inside me, helping me and guiding me through the day. And, you know, for years, that's most of my life, that's how I lived, you know. Life's a struggle. Pray to God the Father. Holy Spirit inside me. We're good to go. And there's nothing wrong with that, I don't believe. But I do now think it's incomplete. It's incomplete. There's another piece of the life with Jesus that I've been missing out on and I'm excited to share it with you because maybe you've been missing out of it and you might have your view of how heaven and earth work changed today. So first Peter, follow me through this rabbit trail of scriptures. It's not complicated. It's all over the Bible. I just picked a, a few. First Peter 3.22 starts out with Jesus went to heaven and he's seated at God's right hand right now in the heavenly room. Hebrews 4.6, which I've been studying and you should too and maybe we'll do it together someday, says because Jesus is our high priest, so as a result of Jesus being our, our high priest, we, you and me, can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And I read that, I asked myself, well, I don't get that. How do I do that? I'm on earth with a broken tooth, and how do I approach God's throne of grace? I'm missing something, so I kept on searching. And the Romans 6 passage that we just read about baptism, that came up in my study because it says this, we die with Christ 
and we are raised and united with Christ into a new life. Well, if Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and I'm united with him, I'm with him, but I'm not. How does that work? I'm confused. And then finally, Ephesians 2.6. This is a verse, write down, go study, read lots of books at it. This verse changed the way I live with Jesus. It says this simply, and God raised us, you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, he raised us up with Christ, and look at this, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And I think for years when I read that, I, my mind just went, oh, that's in the future. But it's not. I'm not a Greek, ex, I don't know Greek, but Every single commentary I read on this passage, no disagreement, no controversy, says right now, Christian, in some sense or form, we're seated with Jesus in heaven. If that doesn't blow your mind today, I don't know what does. Those circles that we saw that are overlapped, we're living in the overlap. We're living in two different realms. Because this is past tense. We have been raised with Jesus, and we are currently seated with Jesus in the heavens today, right now. So that's the answer to the question of how do I approach God's throne of grace with confidence because I'm sitting next to the high priest on the throne. It's just not that complicated. I just don't think about it very often. I don't, I, I always debate how much to talk about Vicki because she's been on, on Easter. The day after Easter will be her four year anniversary of the phone call. You have cancer, you have leukemia. And it's been a long struggle. And uh, we've learned a lot. <laughs> and she's learned a lot about this book, you know, How to Suffer. And one, one of many times she was in a hospital for an extended period of time, she wasn't doing that well, I'll just put it that way. It was getting pretty dark. And doing my best to encourage her, I started talking about our future life in heaven, you know, God has chosen not to heal you from leukemia now. He might, and I pray for that every day. But in the new heavens, on the new earth, he will heal you. You will have a new body, and it won't have any leukemia in it. And there's no hospitals. And there's no nurses coming in at 2 o'clock in the morning to wake you up and poke you with something or put more chemo in you. And you know what, Vicki, my lovely bride, you know, she's the one that calls everybody sweetie because she's from the South. My lovely, gentle Southern gal says, well, that's fine and good, honey, but it doesn't help me at all. And I'm out of bullets. I don't, I like, that's all I got. Like in the new heaven, we're gonna, you know, what else could I have to encourage you? And she says to me, she goes, I need Jesus now. And she looks me in the eye and says, when you go home to sleep and I wake up here in this bed and the only thing around is, is IVs and chemo and doctors and nurses, that's when I need Jesus I can't wait to when I die. I need him now. And then I started on this hunt for, is that true? It is. Because Vicki somehow in the depths of her soul understood that she's currently seated with Jesus in the heavenly realm. She lives this, and I'm just once more schooled by Vicki in all of her. Because Jesus isn't far away in this faraway Looney Tunes heaven, Right? Heaven isn't a faraway place. Life with Jesus doesn't begin when we die. Life with Jesus begins the moment you say yes to Jesus. We're with him and he's with us now. 
If you read John, the gospel of John, beautiful picture in John chapter 15 when, when uh, Jesus talks to the disciples. He basically approaches this subject in different words. He says, I'm the vine and you the branches. And what does he say? Remain in me as I also remain in you. Does that change when Jesus left and went to heaven? No. When Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus says to us, remain in me, seated by me, and I will remain by you as you're seated by me. See, the, the, the two realms we live in, the earthly realm and the heavenly realm, coexist, and we live in both at the same time. Perhaps a quote from Lynn Coick will help. Commenting on Ephesians 2.6, she speaks about living in two realms. Here's what she says. God's purpose in raising up believers with Christ and seating them with Christ in the heavenly places is to serve God's kingdom work here on earth. So there you see the two realms. We have a foot in each realm, so to speak. Believers in Christ have victory over death and the spiritual powers that promote evil and disobedience. Believers were spiritually dead... Remember the Romans 6, baptism illusion. We were spiritually dead. Now we're regenerated to a holy life that honors God and blesses other. See, we're currently seated right now in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. And why? To give him glory and honor and to bless other people. If that sounds like the greatest commandment, love God and love others, yes, this is all connected. It all comes together. One more analogy that, you know, all analogies break down at some point, but I was trying to think of it. How do I explain this? Because I really want you guys to get this, to understand this idea of how heaven actually works. Um, it's a story about my, my daughter, Jamie, and her husband, uh, Morgan. He's one of my two sons-in-law, and, and he's been in the United States for 10 years now. Uh, and he's a U.S. citizen, actually. He got that about a year ago. Uh, but, and his heart, for sure, is here. Why is his heart here? Because his wife's here, his two children are here, and his soon-to-be third child's going to be born. So his heart's here, right? It's completely here. But he also has a mom still alive in Zimbabwe and some siblings and, count it, 25 nieces and nephews. And Morgan's heart is also in Zimbabwe. How could his heart be in two places at the same time. Because he, like other, all of us, are made in the image of God and we're given this an amazing capacity to love other people. An amazing capacity to love other people. So Morgan loves his family and his heart's in Zimbabwe and at the same time, he loves here. Heaven is more than just a place, it's another realm. Zimbabwe has a grip on Morgan's heart just like America has a grip on his heart because of his family. And heaven has a grip on our heart just like earth and all the people in it has a grip on our heart. That's why Paul in Colossians says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And Paul already said you're seated with him. So that's where our hearts are. So I know this is a lot to comprehend, and some of you are looking at me like, whoa, and I just kind of see the smoke coming out of your ears. What I would encourage you to do is take some time and meditate on this, and we're going to do that a little bit as, as we finish today. But allow me to summarize, if you will, because this is more about comprehension, learning some new stuff. What was the easy stuff up front? Jesus suffered for us to bring us to God, and Jesus has gone into heaven to seat at God's right hand. 
And then the mind-blowing truth that we've been talking about for the last few minutes is this. When Jesus goes to heaven and he brings us to God, he brings us with him. He, in some sense, Jesus brings us to God and seats us with him at God's right hand right now today. And man, that's the way I want to live because it's way, way better. Now, comprehending a truth like this takes some time and we have to do some things. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and close up your stuff. And, and as we go to a time of worship and communion, I uh, just want to let you kind of help how do I get my brain wrapped around this? Because I've, I've had the benefit of thinking about this for a couple years. And for some of you, you've been listening to it for a half an hour. So you got some catching up to do, but trust me, it's worth it. So what do we focus on? Obviously that we're seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. But a couple things just that real basic to meditate on is let it seep into your soul. One is this. Before we were a Christian, we were dead in our sin, and now we are alive with Christ. Let that statement just sink into your souls. Because, you see, we have this battle on earth, but in a sense, we already have complete victory in Christ. We're going to die one day physically, but in some sense, we already have victory over death. That's not the end. Death is the beginning. So meditate on that truth. And the second thing might be a little bit more challenging. And if I were a more gifted presenter, I'd be able to help you walk through this visualization. Um, but we really, really need to get the idea that Jesus is not far. Some distant place in heaven. Jesus is near. He's, we're seated right next to him. Jesus is near. So as we worship, I'm going to ask you to do this exercise, kind of a mental exercise. Block out everything from your mind. If it helps, close your eyes. Uh, try not to think about lunch. Try not to think about the technical difficulties. Try not to think about anything except your life with Jesus. He's not far. He's right next to you. And as, as we just sit in quiet for a moment, if you're really good at this, at some point in time, you'll realize that everything in the universe gets quiet. The only thing left is Jesus sitting next to us. And in that really, really still quiet place, that's where you hear his voice. And I don't know if you'll literally hear his voice or the Holy Spirit will give you his voice. And if you're really, really listening carefully to his voice, you'll start to hear the words of his voice because he's at the right hand of the Father and you're seated right next to him, with him. And he is the one that loves you more than anybody else in the world. So you're on his mind. He's gonna be talking about you and you can hear his voice. And then you realize, just mind blower, mind blower, that when you hear his voice, what he's doing is he's praying for you to God. And whatever struggle, and if you're in that group that we thought about this morning that has something tough going on, take, take courage, be encouraged. Jesus Christ is praying for you right now as you sit next to him in the heavens. Let's take a moment just to let that sink in and then the worship team will...